church, we come to you in prayer. We pray over our teams right now in India. We've got our teams in South Africa and Thailand, our campus in Mexico, the team going to Moldova here in a few months. And we know that Jesus would oftentimes pray short prayers that had great effect. And so we just pray a short prayer right now. God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Through these trips, Lord, we pray protection over every member of our church family that's extending your kingdom in a different place. We pray extend your kingdom there. Extend your kingdom this morning, God. Extend it in our hearts. Touch our lives. We're just open to what you have for us this morning, Father. We extend our faith to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you love Jesus? <laughs> awesome. You're in the right place. <laughs> Great. Well, hey, I want to introduce myself. My name's Kendall. I'm one of the pastors and leaders here and excited to get to start our series today, Heart of the Father. Thank you for joining us. We're always just amazed that people show up on Sunday. We started this church with 10 people seven years ago. So thanks. Thanks for being here. And uh, Pastor Robert, our lead pastor, is overseas right now. He is in South Africa as we are praying, planting in all people's work uh, there outside of Cape Town. And so you can be praying for him. I, I hear they've had a great trip. I know they've been praying for a lot of people and just getting to know people. One of their waitresses, I think, at the restaurant a few nights ago, uh, he they asked her how they could pray for her, and she said, oh, um, you can pray for me. I'm on a fast right now because I'm trying to find God. So anyway, God's moving there. It's awesome. It's kind of a rough for a waitress to fast, but anyway, I'm sure God will bless her. So it's a great time. And uh, yeah, so let's hop into this series. It's going to be great. The next few weeks, we're going to have some guest speakers. Next week, I want to encourage you to come back and hear Nathan Daniel, a member of our church, has been using ministry all over town, as he has also written a book, Freedom Through Forgiveness, and really speaks to these father issues in our life. We'll be celebrating Father's Day. And then following week, John Lowe, one of our board members as a church, will be speaking. You might want to make sure you hear him as well. We all love to hear from John and Evelyn whenever they're in town. So keep, stay tuned for more messages, but I want to start the series today with little story, and that's this. Um, you know, it relates to the Super Bowl, actually. So many people watch the Super Bowl for the football, obviously, but there's a whole other group of people that watch the Super Bowl for the ads. Any ads watchers out there? That's honestly kind of why you watch and go to the party and eat the dip. Okay, so some of us like the ads, and there's actually this whole group of social critics, kind of pundits, and they analyze the ads at the Super Bowl. So they go through and what they do is they study these advertisements, and their hope is to assess the cultural landscape of America, seeing how things are changing based on how these marketers are targeting us and trying to sell us more stuff. And an interesting trend came out this year in 2015 regarding the Super Bowl ads. They found that ad after ad was actually targeting fathers. It's interesting. And portraying fatherhood in an unusually positive light in the media. It was, it was so significant, this trend. I think uh, Nissan, Toyota, Honda, Nationwide, um, uh, Google, uh, there's a the number of uh, brands that did this. It was so significant that they came up with this word for it, dadvertising. Dadvertising, okay? So that was the word. Dadvertising. It's been all over the news. And I want to show you one of these ads right now. It's actually a Cheerios ad. Cheerios, the official cereal of dads. Um, but I, I want to show you this ad just so you can get an idea of this dadvertising thing that's going on in our culture right now as people are trying to make sense of fatherhood. Let's check it out. Oh. You awake? Yeah, of course I'm awake. Is that a new mask? Oh, yeah. I love it. It's really creepy. I know, right? Yeah, good stuff. Thanks. Hey, 
Let me introduce myself. My name is, and proud of it, and all dads should be. We're awesome. We get our hands messy. We tell hilarious jokes. Hey, Nolan, we gotta get up, buddy. Big lady. We never say no to dress up. We build the best forts. We do work, work, and we do homework. We lead by example. We blow their minds. Can't believe he's his father. I know. That is called a plot twist. Being awesome isn't about breaking rules. It's about making them. Hot stuff coming through. Wife and the coffee. And breakfast is for breakfast. Hey, Nolan, give me a look here. Suggestion, that's a boy, that's a man. But it's also for lunch, dinner, and midnight snacks. Scraped knees aren't boo-boos, they are badges of bravery on the playground. Hey, Victoria, that profile pic, awesome. When you're a dad, hugs can be bear hugs, but they can also be high fives, fist bumps, and next level handshakes. Kids. They're our best friends. They're our greatest fans. Buddy, you've been gaining muscle mass. Nice. And they look to us like the same way we look at superheroes. Up. Because we're taller. Now, dadhood isn't always easy. When a rule is broken, we're the enforcement. Hey, buddy, it's garbage day. But when a heart is broken, we're the reinforcement. And we wouldn't have it any other way. Because being a dad is awesome. Just like Cheerios are awesome. That's why it's the official cereal of dadhood. And this, this, my friends, you know you this is how to dad. All right, there it is. We can all go home now. I don't know how much coffee I would have to have to act like that dad in the morning, but it would be a lot. The New York Times commented on this dadvertising phenomenon. This is what they said. The hapless, bumbling father is a stock character in product marketing. He makes breakfast for dinner and is incapable of, handle, incapable of handling or sometimes even noticing a soggy diaper. He tries desperately to hide crumb-strewn, dirt-streaked evidence of his poor parenting before mother gets home. And then the article ends with this quote, society is ready for a new narrative about dads. Society is ready for a new narrative about dads. That word narrative, it means story. Our, our culture, our society is ready for a new story about fatherhood. And it's our job to give it to them. Amen. I've been thinking a lot about fatherhood this week as two of our staff families have had babies. It's been awesome to celebrate with them. So our media director, JC, and his wife, Natalie, they just had baby Jet. I think we got a picture here. There he is. Got some Instagram posts. <laughs> Super easy to start a sermon with a baby picture, by the way. Just a pro tip. All right. Next, Evelyn. Uh, the Illingworths had their baby, Blair and Aaron. Cute little girl there, Evelyn. They're part of our Mexico staff. Awesome. So we've been, I've been thinking about one of the birth of, of one of our boys as I've celebrated with these guys this week, and it's been the birth of our second son, Jed. And Jed, uh, it's a really interesting story leading up to his birth. One day, just out of the blue, I was, I was just reading the Bible, you know, reading the Bible just, uh, at our home and spending my face time with the Lord in the morning. And I was doing a study of the life of Solomon. And I was reading 2 Samuel, and I just read this random passage. It says, the Lord, uh, she gave birth to a son and named him Solomon, and the Lord loved him, and sent word through Nathan the prophet and named him Jedediah. 
for the Lord's sake. And sometimes, you know, you're reading a scripture and God just kind of highlights it to you. And that's what happened to me. It just kind of jumped out on the page. And God said, Jedediah, that's going to be the name of your second son. I thought it was interesting because, first of all, we weren't pregnant yet. And I always thought I'd have a boy and a girl. So I was just kind of like, oh, that's interesting. So I kind of wrote it down in my journal. And then a few months later, we became pregnant. A few months after that, we found out we were having a boy. And I began to think, wow, this Jedediah thing, this might actually happen. And so we were kind of talking through different names. And I, I, for some reason, I just had a lot of stress and anxiety about the name. And I just needed more confirmation from God or just myself. And as I prayed about it, my wife and I got together one night. And we said, God, we are going to ask for a confirmation tomorrow. We just put it out there. We want it to happen tomorrow that you would let us know that this little boy's name that we're pregnant with right now. Well, my wife was pregnant. I was just kind of there. But uh, uh, is going to be called Jedediah. So the next day, I have this prayer meeting at the Robert and Stephanie's house, kind of pray over the church as overseers. And uh, before we get started, Robert has this book on his coffee table, and he, he mentions it to me. So I open it up. It's a book of the Christian history of California. And I open it up to chapter one, and there's a picture of this pioneer, and he's like standing there all tough. And over it, it says, Jedediah Strong, the first Christian pioneer to California. And I thought, God, that is so awesome that you gave me this confirmation within 24 hours. But what got really funny was the confirmations that came after that, that word strong that I shared. People just kept calling and texting. I just feel like this little boy is going to be strong. That's just going to be a word over his life. We're in labor in the hospital. Neely Gully sends us a long voice text about how he's going to be strong and all this thing. And then he was born, and he was very large and very strong. It was awesome. And, and what I was amazed with was God's intentionality just with a little baby boy. We serve an intentional father. Amen. That's not just a story from my family. That's, that's actually all of our stories. God knit us together in our mother's womb. He called us before we were born. He knew us by name before our parents even thought about us. God has a plan for our lives, and he is a good, good father. Amen? We're in need of a new narrative about dads. We're in need of a new story about fatherhood in our culture, but not just about physical fatherhood, although we're needing that. You know, about 43 to 46% of children in America today live without their father. And sociologists and different people are studying the effects of this, and it's not good for our society. So we definitely need to address the physical issue of families and how we can support that as a church and transform our culture. But even beyond that, we are in need of a new narrative about our Heavenly Father. You know, it just cannot be disputed sociologically, psychologically, spiritually, that one's relationship with his or her father dramatically affects how you view your relationship with your Heavenly Father. It just cannot be disputed. It's so significant. It's so important. And that brings us to why we would do this series, The Heart of the Father. Because we know that God has a heart for us, and we want to have his heart for people. Amen? We need the heart of the Father in our life. Every believer gets to a point in their lives where they have this critical juncture, this turning point, and they must learn how to receive unconditional love and acceptance from their Heavenly Father. Some of us, it's just part of the maturity process. Others, it's maybe because of a tragedy that happened in our own family, or we, we, were, we had an absent dad, or some issue. But regardless of the reason, we all reach this point at some place in our lives where we must be able to receive 
and understand the Father's love for us. We have to be able to get it. We have to have it. And the disciples found themselves, they found themselves in this kind of a moment, this kind of a critical moment. I'll I'll, I'll read the passage in a moment, but I just want to set the scene for us. The disciples had walked with Jesus. They had been his friends. They'd been camping together all over Israel, preaching the gospel, sharing meals, doing life. They, they, They had roles. I'm sure at different times they felt important, like they were changing the world, right? I mean, I know they felt important because one guy was like, hey, Jesus, uh, when we get to heaven, can I sit at your right hand? And who's the greatest? And they're always kind of debating about this stuff. So they had security. They had identity. Their ministry was growing. And in the middle of all this, Jesus comes to them at the height of their popularity. They've just been, they've just been brought into Jerusalem, paraded. Jesus rode a donkey. Everyone's shouting out, Hosanna. They were coming in just so famous. Jesus gathers them, and he says, guys, it's going to be better if I go. It's going to be better if I leave. They, they have dinner together at the Last Supper. He begins to tell them how, how they're actually going to deny him and betray him. And he begins to set the scene for his crucifixion and eventually his resurrection. But during this time, as the disciples are hemming and hawing and they're asking questions and they're upset, he says this, John chapter 14, verse 18, he says this to his disciples. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I want to tell you that verse is just as applicable today as it was many years ago. He will not leave us as orphans. He will come to us. Amen? I want to speak to you today from the subject, orphans no longer. Orphans no longer. Ushers are going to come with Bibles now, and we're going to turn to John 14 together as we look at this discourse during the Last Supper from the life of Jesus as he begins to teach and discuss the Father's heart for us so that we can be orphans no longer. There's three things we're going to see in this passage today. The first thing we're going to see is what the Father has for us. We're going to see what the Father has for us. Next, we're going to see how Jesus brings us to the Father. And finally, we're going to see how the Holy Spirit wants to transform us from spiritual orphans into spiritual sons and daughters. Because his heart for us is to be orphans no longer. Let's start here in John chapter 14. It'll be up on the screen as well. We'll start just with verse 1. It says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Verse 1 of John 14 starts with this, do not let your hearts be troubled. I think it's so interesting You know, God cares about your heart. Did you catch that? God cares about your heart, the emotional state of your heart. He cares whether it's troubled or not. He cares whether it's distressed or not. Jesus speaks to his disciples. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. They've been talking about this betrayal, this crucifixion, this leaving, and his immediate goal is to comfort them. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. As we enter into this series of looking at the heart of the Father in our church, I just want to speak to you and say, do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let your heart be troubled. As we approach topics like this, sometimes some people can have fear or anxiety. I just want to say, do not let your heart be troubled. God has a plan. You're in this place for a reason this morning. Amen? Let's keep reading. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go there and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be, may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Jesus says, I'm going to the Father's house. 
The Father's house has many rooms. It's, it's, a, it's a place where there's space. It's a place where there's peace. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. It's a place of God's presence. I like to call, say it this way. The Father's house is a house of abundance. The Father's house is a house of abundance. Amen? The Father's house is a house of abundance. Have you ever been surprised by the greatness of someone's house? Maybe you pulled up for a dinner party and you were like, all right, it's going to be a good dinner. <laughs> Maybe you've had the opposite happen. But sometimes we can be surprised by the greatness of someone's house, right? I want to tell you a story from my life. I was studying abroad in England in college. And before I went, my dad mentions to me, hey, you have some long-lost relatives that live in England. It was kind of like a stepmom to a, another random connection. It was very kind of far off from us. He was like, you should email them and tell them you're coming. I hear they live in England. And so I said, sure, why not? I was there for a while. And so I emailed them, and we agree to meet at this train station on this particular weekend. So I take the train out of London, and I'm way out in the countryside. And I'm thinking, this will be nice. I'll get to see these people and get to know them and, you know, have tea and crumpets and, like, a little English cottage or something. Or I don't know what we're going to do, look at sheep or, you know, do something like that. And, and so we get to the train station. I, I get out, and there's nobody there. I'm looking around, nobody there, just a little train station, middle of nowhere. And then I look around, and there's this man standing kind of off on the street. And my, my relative's name was Keith. I said, are you Keith? Yes, are you Kendall? So we we're meeting each other for the first time. And the guy was dressed kind of interesting. He had this, like, tweed jacket and these driving gloves and this scarf and this beret. And I was like, okay, all right, this would be interesting. So we, there's no car, though. So I figure, oh, maybe, you know, they're just poor English peasants, right? We're just going to walk down the street. I don't know. I'm just, I've never met these people. And we turn the corner to the train station, and then I see Keith's silver Rolls Royce convertible. And so we hop into the convertible, and I'm thinking, this is going to be better than tea and crumpets. And so we get in, and we drive through the English countryside. And it's just like you would see it on Downton Abbey or something like that. Beautiful, green, rolling hills, all that kind of stuff. And then as we're driving, we turn onto this road, and it's a, co a cobblestone road. You know, the cars, I'm like, man, this Rolls Royce makes it, you know. It's kind of bumping around, and Keith looks at me, and he says, oh, this is a Roman road. And I'm like, oh, of course, a Roman road. You know, the Romans built this road. And then the Roman road leads up to the house, which happens to be a castle. Guys, it's a castle, okay? I'm having lunch in a castle. There's this huge circular driveway, you know, these gardens, knight in shining armor, coat of arms, the whole thing. I was impressed by the greatness of the house. I'll just put it that way. But did you know that God wants you to be impressed with the greatness of his house? He has a house of abundance for us as believers. He is a house of abundance for us as believers. I just want to read you one passage in the Bible that just speaks to us of some of the blessings, some of the promises that we have as children of God. Because it should surprise you. It should amaze you how much your heavenly Father has for you. I want to read you here in Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. If you're one of those people, what does it promise you? Continues in verse 3. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even the darkness light, even the dark, even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. This is a good word for our day. They will have no fear of bad news. 
Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their enemies. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. There's these blessings of honor, these blessings of provision, these blessings of just emotional abundance, of peace in life. I want to tell you, the Father's house is a house of abundance. The Father's house is a house of abundance. You know, we can think about heaven at times and, and think, yes, that's the Father's house. That's the house of abundance. But I want to propose to you that God is a house of abundance for you here on earth. One Bible commentator put it this way. Jesus did not come just to gain sheep, but to enable his sheep to flourish and enjoy contentment. God's heart for you is that you would flourish, that you would have an abundant life here on earth. And he established a house on the earth for us to do that in. He established a house of abundance on the earth, and that's called the church. 1 Timothy 3.15 says this, I write so that you will know how, to, how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. The household of God is the church. Psalm 92 says it this way, those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. Amen? Those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. God's heart is for you to be planted in his church, and his promise is that you will flourish in life. The enemy knows this. He knows God's plan to bless us. He knows God's plan for abundant life. That's why he seeks to kill and destroy we're going to talk later in this message how the enemy might be doing that, but I want to continue just in this passage of John 14 now as we look at the life of Jesus. The next point in Jesus' message is, is this. He is the way to the Father's embrace. Amen. Jesus is the way to the Father's embrace. Can you give me an amen on that? It's all about Jesus. He is the way to the Father's embrace. You might say, hey, that's great, Kendall. That's great. Psalm 112, I want those promises in my life. I want to live in the house of abundance. I want to flourish in life. How do I do that? Well, Jesus tells us that he is the way to the Father's house. Let's keep reading here in John 14. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Classic disciple question. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip, another disciple, he says, Lord, show us the father, and that'll be enough for us. Again, they're just not getting it. Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Jesus is the way to the father. Jesus is the way into the Father's house. I think of that powerful story in Luke 15. We talk about it often at this church, the story of the two sons and the father, and some call it the story of the prodigal son. But it says this in Luke 15, verse 20, about that son that left and returned to his father. It says this, he got up and he went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I've always pictured this story, just this great house of abundance out in the country, just this kind of a farmhouse maybe, and just this long road, 
that goes out into the distance and kind of a dusty road. And the son is just walking down the road when the father embraces him. Just a side note, you know, according to Jewish law, the father should have stoned the son, but he embraces him. There's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. The law of spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Jesus is that way. The Message Bible says it this way in John 14. Jesus says, I am the road. Jesus is the road to the Father's house. Amen? He is the way in. I, I just want to maybe familiarize you with some, some things that are going on in our city. Did you know that today, on this particular Sunday in history, what is it, June 15th? 14th? June 14th, only 4% of San Diego will be in church. Only 4% of our city. Did you know that statistically, San Diego, only 6 to 9% of people will claim the name of Christ? Say they have a relationship with Jesus? We long for our city to experience the abundance of the Father's house. Why do we maybe preach in such a way where somebody that doesn't really know God yet or isn't familiar with church could understand it? Or, or why are we so intent on spreading life groups all throughout our county or a, or a campus in Mexico? I mean, it hasn't been easy, right, Jonathan, planning this campus in Mexico. We want people to experience the Father's embrace in his house of abundance. Amen? That's what we want. That's what our heart longs for. Just, just even this week as I was preparing this message just driving to a coffee shop in, in downtown San Diego, just seeing the brokenness of our city. I could almost just hear the cry of the fatherless. Really, I, I, it shook me. I pulled up to this. I just had to sit in the car for a minute just before I got out. It, I was emotionally overwhelmed with the spiritual fatherlessness of our city. I want to tell you, God's heart is that we would be orphans no longer. Amen? But that we would know the embrace of our heavenly Father. Final point in Jesus' message is next. He talks about the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that transforms us from spiritual orphans into spiritual sons and daughters. And it begins to describe how the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit transforms us from spiritual orphans to spiritual sons and daughters. He says this in, in verse 14, excuse me, 16 of John 14. You can look on the screen. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. He begins to say, the Holy Spirit's going to be with you. You're not going to be alone. He's going to be near you. You're not going to be orphans. You're going to have comfort. You're going to have peace. You're going to have truth. You know, maybe you thought, wouldn't it be great to live during Bible times? Anybody ever thought that? Be kind of cool? Like, maybe you thought, okay, it'd be great. Like, I'll be around with Moses, see the parting of the Red Sea. I know we have, like, movies now, but it would have been cool to see it in person. Listen, we have what the Bible says is a better covenant than that. 2 Corinthians 3 says the new covenant has a greater glory in Jesus than what the Israelites experienced in the Old Testament. But maybe you thought, hey, wouldn't it be better if I was alive at the time of Jesus? Like, scratch modern plumbing. Besides that, you know, wouldn't it have been cool to see, like, I don't know, people walking on water or this bread multiplying, these different testimonies. Lazarus, come forth, you know, this kind of stuff. Would have been cool. 
But here's what Jesus says. He says, guys, it's going to be better if I go. That's what he tells his disciples in John 12. Why? Because when Jesus was on earth, he was confined to a physical body. He was fully God, but he was fully man. That's why in the Gospel of Luke, when he starts walking around and healing people, first of all, one person grabs him. Then a few chapters later, there's a whole crowd trying to grab him just to touch the hem of his garment, just to graze by him so they can be healed. But when Jesus went to heaven and ascended from, ascended from the dead and ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit so he could be everywhere, so no one would be without him. So no one would have to push through a crowd to find him, but he could be the God and the here and now for every one of us. Let's give an amen to that. We live in the day where Jesus has come to each and every one of us, that as individuals, not even as a church, but you as a person are not an orphan any longer, that you have access to your heavenly Father. Jesus continues, he says, the advocate, I just want you to know that you have an advocate. You have someone that sticks up for you in the heavenly court. God will give you justice because of what Jesus has done in your life. You have an advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. I want you to know that you have a teacher. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you don't know how to uninstall a disposal under your sink. And you had to look on YouTube for 30 minutes yesterday to figure out how to do it. Sometimes in life, we wish someone would have taught us something. Maybe we felt the absence of a parent, the absence of a disciple, or the absence of community. You have a teacher who will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. That's a good word for people like me who are super forgetful. Okay, let's continue. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. He cares about our hearts. He wants us to be orphans no longer. He will teach us all things. We have a comforter. We have peace. We have the Holy Spirit. You know, we all have a season in our lives that we need to go through where we experience the unconditional love of the Father and are healed and transformed into sons and daughters. That's what God wants for us. I want to tell you a little bit about a season like that in my life. 2008, we were planting this church. By the way, we started with 10 people. Seven years later, we're all here, so praise God. But my wife and I, we moved out with the Herbers and the Lairs, Joel Sanders and others that planted this church, All People's Church. It was a time of great spiritual intensity. Many people were coming to the Lord. We were always praying, seeking God out on the streets, telling people about Jesus. And it was just a, a time of, of great breakthrough in our lives as well as we realize God sent us to San Diego not only for us to transform San Diego, but for him to transform us. It's funny how God works like that sometimes. Jehovah's sneaky, right? So this is what happens. In the middle of this season of planting this church, my wife and I, we, we have to step back for a season and let God heal our hearts and heal our marriage because it's just junk we're dealing with. It was nothing major. It was just emotional. We had to work through this despair in our lives and issues in our marriage. I mean, it felt major to us, but we, we just, we needed healing from God. And during this season, I had a powerful dream. Here's the dream. You believe God could speak in a dream? I had this dream. On this dream, I'm, I'm on a bus, and if you grow up playing Texas football, 
what you do is you ride these buses all over Texas to play in these little Texas towns. So it was like that. We were on this football bus, and the whole church planning team was there with us. And we were all suited up, right? So we had our pads and our helmet on. We were ready for the big game, you know, driving down the highway. Friday night lights, it's real, people. I just want you to know that. So, so we're doing this. We're in the snow. I don't know why. It's a dream. So, we're, so we're, we're on this bus, and then all of a sudden the bus stops. The bus stops, and I'm like, hey, we want to get to the game. Why is the bus stopping? And then I watch as my father walks onto the bus. And he comes up to me in front of the whole team, and he says, hey, son, I, I need you to come with me. I said, no, I don't want to come with you, Dad. We're doing this game, you know, kind of a big game, you know. He says, son, I need you to come with me right now. You'll be back on the team. Don't worry. You'll be back in a few games, but I need you to come with me. I said, why? He said, because you have an appointment right now with the greatest doctor in the world, and he's going to heal you. And we went through a season of God just healing our lives. It was such a beautiful time. It was such a powerful time. If, you know, the dream doesn't quite make sense to you, oftentimes vehicles in the dream will represent ministry. The father in the dream represents our father God. And the great physician, well, that represents Jesus healing us and restoring us during that season. It was such a powerful time. But I tell you, it required an invitation from God for me to understand, oh, this is the season I'm in. God wants to take me from being a spiritual orphan to a spiritual son and daughter. I want to give you an invitation to that kind of season this morning. I think there's some of us that need that season in our lives where we need to just put a big target on our heart and say, Holy Spirit, will you make me an orphan no longer? Will you make me a son or daughter? You know, I wish I could give you a five-point plan on how to do that. But the fact of the matter is, it's a little less practical. The Bible says this in 1 John 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. What makes you a child of God? How do you receive that sonship or daughtership from God? It's simply by hearing the voice of what he is calling you. It might seem too simple, but can I remind you that his words create worlds? He's the most powerful voice in the universe. He calls things as not as though they are. When you hear the voice of God speaking your identity as a son or daughter into your life, it changes everything. I was so privileged this Thursday night to get to be at our, our restoration house, which is our, um, just our ministry house for women that just have different discipleship needs or might be in recovery or different things. And we, we were at this house celebrating these women for the last six to nine months who have just sowed into their lives to be transformed by the love of God. It's just amazing what happened to them. You know, we were joking. We need like a before and after picture because you could just see the glory of God on their faces. It'd be a great church marketing campaign, actually, like before and after. But, but there's something that happens when someone encounters the Father. When God speaks to them, it changes the look of their very countenance. It's supernatural. What's our part? Giving him a chance. Responding. Walking down that road and opening our heart to his embrace. I'm going to give you three options for how to respond to this message this morning. The first two are how the devil would want you to respond. And the last one is how I believe God wants us to respond this morning. You may have never heard a message where the pastor says, this is how the devil wants you to respond, but at least I'm making it obvious. All right. Three options of how we could respond to this message this morning. Flight, fight, or favor. Flight, fight, or favor. The first one, flight. 
What do I mean by that? Some of us in our lives have this temptation to flee. We have this temptation to run. You know, many of us, maybe even at times we run from God, right? Sure, it doesn't look like that. Maybe we're involved in a lot of Christian activities or we're doing ministry. But we're missing the deep transforming season that God wants to bring into our life to touch us with the love of the Father. Sometimes all our activity is actually the things that limit us from receiving the Father's love. We see this fleeing that happens in the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve, they sin. They take that forbidden fruit. And what's the next thing they do? They hide. They hide from God. And you hear the grief in the Father's heart as he walks through that garden. And he says, Adam, where are you? Of course, he knew where Adam was but he felt the departure in relationship. Sometimes we flee. We see this in the life of the prodigal son, right? What does he do? He believes the lie that there's more abundance outside the father's house, that there's greater life outside of the father's house. So he leaves. He goes his own way, only to be found eating the pods that the pigs are eating. This is kind of like, I went to the dentist this week. This is kind of like knowing you have a cavity but refusing to go to the dentist, right? You just kind of fill your schedule with other stuff and hope that it gets better. Sometimes we can do this to the Lord when he's wanting to transform our lives. We move from event to event or group to group, hoping to have a spiritual high that finally fixes us. But we can avoid the deep transforming work in our hearts that the Holy Spirit wants to bring. Running from God and others can be a sign that the enemy is sowing an orphan spirit into your life. I know I've wanted to do it at different times, but God's heart is that we be orphans no longer. Amen? Flight. Fight. Some of us fight God. I think we could really fight God and win, but we do it anyway. We have a demanding, suspicious, entitled attitude toward God. We see this in the life of Adam, right? Right when he sins in that Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis. What does he do? He blames God for his sin. He's like, God, it was that woman you gave me. Okay? <laughs> we blame God for our circumstances rather than owning up to our part and repenting. We see it in the life of the older brother and that prodigal son story we talked about earlier. What does he do? Right? He comes to the father and he blames the father for his bad attitude. He says, well, you didn't even give me a goat, Father. It's a goat. It's like totally lame. Could have asked for anything, right? And, and what's the Father say? He says, son, all that I have is yours. He missed the heart of God because of his attitude, because he had his, maybe his boxing gloves on. Maybe he was resisting the love of the Father. And, and I just want to tell you, as the Holy Spirit transforms us into orphans and sons and daughters, there's a, there's a truth you got to get a hold of, which is that God brings people into your life to transform you. He brings others into your life like, like God with skin on to rub against you and transform you. And as iron sharpens iron, he's using them to make us more like him. And so sometimes this fighting thing, this can spill over to our relationships in the church. We can become contentious, hard to please. We can sacrifice relationships with others just for an opinion. No leader's good enough. No church is just quite right. We resign ourselves to DIY spirituality. I'll just do it myself. I'll just, it's just easier. Another sign of an orphan spirit. God's heart is for you to walk through life, committed relationships with other people. 
Maybe it's not at this church. That's fine. There's a lot of great churches in San Diego. But God's heart is for you to have a family and for you not to be a spiritual orphan. Amen. Fight, flight, lasting favor. Well, I think that's the way that the Lord would want most of us to respond this morning. As the band comes out, just want to explain this for a minute. God's heart is that we come to him and receive his favor. The Bible says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That means we present ourselves to God and invite him, give him an opportunity to come. You know, at the end of the day, at the end of a day's work, I'm coming home either way, right? But what I love it is when I come home and I see my boys' faces pressed against the glass. Warms my heart. And then if there's some great news like, you know, I went poo-poo on the potty or whatever. We're celebrating, right? It's awesome. Listen, God's coming into your life. But I think there's an eagerness in our spirit he wants us to have. Where we press ourselves against the glass and to say, God, we're here. We're waiting for your embrace. We receive your favor. You're the one that calls things as not, as though they are. I'm a son or a daughter because you have called me that. Here's how we approach God. With open hands and open heart. And then whatever we, he gives us, we take and we're thankful for. Sometimes we don't even know what we need. Sometimes we come to God wanting one thing, he gives us something else. Maybe it's an encouragement he'll give you. Maybe it's healing from a memory or a lie that you've experienced that's kept you as an orphan and kept you from experiencing his love. Maybe it's a practical thing where you just need to be taught by the Holy Spirit how to handle some area of your life. Maybe it's discipline. You know, fathers do that too. But there's something for all of us in the Father's heart this morning. So I just want to pray for a moment. I want to invite you to stand up. And I want us just to have a moment where we pause and receive the Father's favor. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to bind things. I'm going to bind the enemy. Because I know there's different ones in here where he's whispering your ear that this message isn't for you. You're the very one it's for. I want to bind the enemy. And I just want to loose God to come into this place and begin to speak to our hearts. I believe there's many people here that are going to have a prophetic experience right now that God is going to speak to your heart, a truth that the enemy will not be able to take away. Will you pray with me right now? If you have faith, you can open your hands, lift your hands, get on your knees, pray however you want, but I'm just going to invite God to come. Father, we just bind the voice of the enemy right now in this room. God, we bind the voice of the enemy that would want to loose that orphan spirit into our life. God, we repent of any way that we fought against you or we've avoided the deep, transforming work that you would want to do in our hearts. We bind it in Jesus' name. And now by faith, we receive the revelation that we are your spiritual sons and daughters. And I pray right now, God, for every heart, for every mind that you just begin to speak. Just begin to speak, God. Put things in people's minds and hearts. Find every distraction. Just begin to speak. I pray that different people right now would feel your pleasure. They'd feel your peace that surpasses all understanding. They'd feel your presence. Just begin to speak right now, God. We give you the opportunity. I was preparing for this message, I just 
was reminded of this season of my life where, I, where God just healed me, took me off that bus, and brought me into his house of abundance. And I just know there's some people here this morning that are being called into that kind of season. We have about five minutes left. We're just going to worship together as a church. But if that's you, say, I want to go into a season in my life of experiencing the Father's embrace. I don't care what it looks like. I don't have to know what it looks like. But that's what I want. That's what I need. Can I just encourage you to come down to the front? This is an act of faith. We're not even going to have the ministry team down here. I just want you to come to the front, lift your hands, and begin to worship as the band begins to lead us. You can just come now if that's you. If anybody's wanting to begin that season of receiving the Father's love in their life. You can just come now. Just lead us for a few minutes, guys.